Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jade Catapretta is a Brazilian-born comedian and actress who you can see on the True TV series Those Who Can't and in person frequently at the Comedy Store when she's not touring as a feature act for Bobby Lee, Kevin Nealon, or Bill Burr. In 2014, she co-starred as a regular on three different series, MTV's Girl Code, Showtime's Californication, and ABC's Manhattan Love Story. She's also appeared on TV as a host on VH1, co-star of MTV's Ladylike, and guested on shows such as At Midnight, Comedy Knockout, and Getting Dug with High. She recently returned to her native Brazil to perform there in Portuguese, and she tells me what happened and what's next for her. So let's get to it! So, Jade... Hi! (laughs) (laughs) We're in our own little corner. I know. We're in Caroline's before your first headlining show here? Yes! You've been here several times, but... This is your first headlining appearance. My, I've been here for seven years on and off with Bobby Lee, Kevin Nealon. I've opened... Who else have I opened for here? I think those are my two. And so it's exciting to do my own night. It's awesome. Yeah. But, but last things first. Yes. I want to talk to you about Brazil. Oh my gosh, please. Because you were just there... Yeah. In January? I was just there in December. December. Yeah. So I had... I'm born and raised there. I was. Right. I left when I was about 10. And um, I hadn't been back in 19 years. Oh, wow. I don't know why it took me so long. I guess I wanted my whole family there, and then money, and then time, and, you Do you know. not have a lot of family still down there? I have or? all my family there except my immediate families in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I've wanted to do this documentary forever, so I finally, on my own dime, went out there with a camera guy named Nick Cavalier, who's fucking awesome, and we just shot a whole doc while we were there. We did nine shows. I did nine shows in Portuguese. In Portuguese. Revisited all the old places I that haunt my memories. Um, reconnected with family, hung out with them and their huge homes that they own. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, it was really grounding and really special for me. What is the Brazilian comedy scene like? They're in about ten years in. They're about okay. tw- so in tw- two thousand eight. They had this humongous boom, thanks to this guy named Hafinha Bastos, who I became very close with, who's coming to the U.S. actually in two weeks. Okay, to do some stuff with the doc and some other stuff he used to be a basketball player so adidas is flying whatever so uh he opened a comedy club called comedians in sao paulo which is the only comedy club in brazil currently and he's nothing in rio just sao paulo there's there's places like you know shows at theaters and stuff but there's not Mm -hmm. like an official comedy club like comedians and him along with this guy named marcelo uh mansfield Mm -hmm. they were some of the first comics really to do stand-up in brazil because you know there's like character things like they do like big characters and kind of like I can't even describe it without making it sound cheesy but that's not what I mean I think I saw a, a YouTube, I think I saw a Netflix special from a Brazilian comedian but it was a YouTube star yes, it was more of a one, one man yeah, it was more one of a dude. one man show yeah, kind of yeah. thing than a stand up show yeah and so they kind of started it and now it's just in full effect of like you know there's like the first gay guy of comedy like they're you know they still don't have like one big black dude yet like and there's not really like a big female so I was like it's my turn <laughs> mine it's mine <laughs> i'm coming back i'm coming back and i'm 10 years in so i i felt like everything i'd ever done really led me to that moment which is crazy but 
And you had never, had you ever performed in Portuguese before? I hadn't really spoken fluently in 19 years. Oh. So although I was fluent, I was mm-hmm. not very verbose. You know, uh, I had the vocabulary of a 14-year-old, and I don't know any of the isms and none of the referential topical things that were happening. None and of the new slang. None of the fucking new slang. I saw all, the, all this old slang like that my grandma used to use, and they're like, Jade, stop. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even know what the... Like, you know, rad just came back, like the word rad in America. Wait, it came back in America? Yeah, yeah we say like rad. Okay. Sick. Sure. Dope. <laughs> chill. There's this word chun. It's like such an old lady word. It just means like cool. And I used to be like chun, chun. <laughs> a lot of my stand-up is a lot about my mistakes, you know, and how I've sort of become this gringa and like, and yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So when your family brought you to the States, did you go straight to Virginia? Well, the boat ride was long and tough, but yeah, we went straight to Charlottesville, Virginia. Was that for... My dad used to make holograms. He was one of the pioneers of the hologram industry. Not the Tupac. He didn't make it. Right. I was going to say. Everybody freaking asked me. Um, Yeah, he moved. He came over and uh, we came to Charlottesville, Virginia out of all the places. Mm. Charlottesville Mm. is still on the news Mm. now. You know it. (laughs) We not, love it. Not for all the best reasons, but... It's a really cool, creative little town, and it was really badly targeted by some... Th- you get one group of Nazis, and it's like, <laughs> that's who you are for forever. That's too bad. When you came when you came to the States, though, did it? how did it change what you thought your life was going to be? Did you uh, have dreams when you were a kid in Brazil, and then you got to America, and it's like, oh, everything's huh. different now? I mean, I think we had this sort of twisted idea of what America was, you know, this like big house, um, you know, grass field, fence, white fence, like picket fence, you know, just like... Where were you living in Brazil? In an apartment building like most kids, because it's a big city, you know? In Sao Paulo? Yeah. Okay. And a lot of people in Charlottesville didn't even know what Brazil was. Like this one girl smelled me. Like I always tell this story, like the first day of school, she smelled me and I was like, "Eh." and kids were like, yeah. They didn't know about Pele or... So briefly, but people were like, what's it like to speak Spanish? You know, or like, and wear shoes. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. Um, so oh. there was definitely an adjustment period. Yeah. And I wanted to get the fuck out. I mean, my sister really liked Virginia. She's like more of a Virginia girl. She's still out there. But I was like, bye. You know. Were you a creative type before landing in Virginia? or? Yeah, my parents got me into dance when I was really young because okay. I had really bad scoliosis. I had open heart surgery when I was a baby. Fun fact. Fun fact. If you want to marry me, <laughs> you have to be born with a hole in your heart as well. Whoa. Can you imagine? I just look for a dude. That's almost like that Christian Slater movie, although wasn't it has a monkey heart? I'm not sure. I'm, I didn't see that flick. <laughs> I didn't What's it either. Called? I didn't either. Monkey heart? <laughs> no, I didn't see that one. No. But yeah, I got into dance when I was really young and then musical theater and then improv mm-hmm. and then stand up because of Sandy Danto, actually. Okay. Yeah. He, I got a job at National Lampoon. Wait a second. Yeah. When he worked out there, co-hosting a show with Cato Kalin. Oh, because NBD. they had National Lampoon Radio. No, it was a t- it was an uh, YouTube station. Okay. YouTube online thing. But, like before YouTube was really a big thing. And they were producing all these like shitty movies with Paris Hilton, you know, like right. Sorority House 17 and shit. And, yeah. Dirty Cops 4. And- yeah. Yeah. Huh. And then they got raided for money laundering, which was a bummer because I lost all the footage of me and Kato Kalin in our chemistry, which was oof, dynamic. That's also unfortunate. Yeah. Wait a second. So wait. So what were you doing before you got hooked up with the National Lampoon? 
I had just come out here from Emerson. Emerson does this like a broad program where you like in LA <laughs> doing an internship. To, yeah. Abroad to LA from yeah. Boston to LA. Yeah. And you've seen the building on yeah. Sunset. Um, but ours was at the uh, Oakwood Oakwood Apartments. So I lived out there and I was just was like. Was it called the Emerson Mafia then? Yeah. Yeah, babe. We've always been I, the mafia. I spent some time in Boston and I learned about yeah the, the intense Hollywood connection and yeah the alumni and, are and specifically fantastic. comedy where it's yeah like a pipeline. I think we all like all owe each other a lot of favors. Like mm-hmm. I did a lot of student films where I was like in a bikini in the snow. So I'm like, hey, oh. remember me? <laughs> hey, remember bikini in the snow? I'm here now. I need you. <laughs> Um, but I loved Emerson. It's, it's where I found my voice of like who I wanted to be as an actor and as a, as a comic. And I love the people I met. How did you pick Emerson? Um, it sort of picked me. I like really wanted to go to NYU to Cap 21, the collaborative arts program of okay. the 21st century, which is not even a program anymore. I remember falling to my knees when I didn't get in. Like I had done all the summer programs. and Kind of the anti-ladybird. Yeah, it is. And it was such a bummer. And then I got in. To Emerson and I went there, so and I just loved it. So when you go to Emerson instead of NYU, how soon was it before you figured out what Emerson's deal was? Oh, right away it was like, oh, these there's a million directors here. I can be in films, you know. So I just did like I did like a hundred films while I was in college and got to do improv locally at the Asylum and okay, there was all these improv true. I mean, people are just constantly creating stuff. It was so cool, such a collaborative. Who was at Improv Asylum when you were? Bouncing around there. Oh boy, um, I'm not going to remember any names. I've been smoking weed for a long time, and it's been ten years since I was in college. So, kind of putting me on the spot here. Oh, not gonna lie. Okay. Um, I don't remember any of the dudes' names. Huh. I don't. But Jay Montepart was there. Okay. And he was hosting the like our nights. He's a stand-up now, and uh, we're still friends, which is nuts. But yeah, blurry days, college. Because I know Improv Asylum did a blend of sketch and improv shows. Yeah. Whereas Improv Boston over in Cambridge was just more like short form. We didn't. Yeah, we did short form. Only short form when I was there, at least. Okay. Yeah. And then, okay, so let's get back to the lampoon. Yeah. So. So then I you knew Sandy. No, I didn't know Sandy. So you come out. Everybody has an internship, right? Mm -hmm. That they have to do. If you're an actor, it sucks because you sort of get stuck like in a casting office, which is. Cool, educational, but like, it's not like you're going to get a job right after college. And my friend Nate Larkin Connolly is a great writer, a great director, was in the intern at National Lampoon. And he was like, look, they're host- looking for hosts. And I had this local public, radio- public TV show in Boston, like almost three years, called Secret Lives, which you can find footage of online. Okay. And so I you know, knew how to use a teleprompter, knew how to use an earpiece. I had already been hosting for a long time, so it was sort of second nature to me. You had a reel? I had a reel. And um, so, yeah, I showed up, and it was like a good fit. And Sandy was the writer-director on the show. And um, he had himself a nice little YouTube career at that point, too. And he's the one who brought me over to the comedy store. How, how, how much time did you spend at the Lampoon? Just the internship? or? Uh, no, I, did, I, I hosted the show for about a year. Yeah, I think I... Almost a year, yeah. We we were like looking for footage because Sandy has this new show now called "Come Chill with Sandy." Mm-hmm. You guys should come. And uh, next one's on the thirteenth at the Comedy Store, I think. Thirteenth of February. Yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, we were gonna find old footage and play it back and make fun of it and shit. And Cato is in most of that footage. Yeah, we we co-hosted. So yeah, I did some on my own. But now, how much did you know about Cato? 
when you I first met really him? I didn't really know. I mean, cause I w- because when the OJ stuff was going on, I was like kind of just moving to America. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I know. But, yeah. I know now exactly more. Who it, but I'm like, wow, now. Young, yeah. young woman fresh out of college. He was so sweet. He was just like a nice guy. I didn't think anything of it. I was just like really psyched to have the gig. You know, it was like a big deal for me. It was like my first paid gig in L.A. And were you thinking, okay, I'm on National Lampoon. I'm doing this thing with this celebrity. I made it. This is, or not, you didn't think you made it already, No, did but you? I was, everything I've ever done, I'm like, this is the thing. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've had a sitcom. I've had, you know, I've had. Well, that's when I met, when I yeah. met you was, when I met you, you were very busy because you were yeah. doing a show for MTV and a show for oh, yeah. the ABC. network. Yeah. Manhattan yeah. Love Story and Ladylike. Oh, good times. Good <laughs> moment for me, that moment. Yeah. Yeah. But how many years before that was the Lampoon gig? Ooh, like seven years. Okay. Yeah. So, so it took me a while. Yeah. So when the when the Lampoon thing ended and there wasn't something immediately waiting. No, there was. Okay. I started working right away. I mean, um, I think I did Two Broke Girls, like maybe a year after, two years after. Okay. Was, which was my first guest star. And then commercials. You know, I used, commercials are re- were really my bread and butter for many years. How did you, did you have a specific approach to commercial auditions? I just went on as many as I could, as many times as I could. And I just, I was, it was a volume strategy more than anything else. I think it is a total numbers game. And then I just got really good at like, you know, being in the, like being in the room and being funny in the room and being different and like always having a button ready. And, um, yeah, stand up really, really helps. I think people who have to be in rooms all the time. But it's so much of it is luck, you know? Like, I haven't booked a commercial in years. Um, but, yeah, I just got really, really lucky. And I was working with um, Hungry Man, and they were booking me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think I did, like, something like 30 commercials okay. over the span of, like, five years, which is really cool. That's enough to make a living, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It was my, my total bread and butter, which is really cool. <laughs> I'm like, can I get another commercial now? Um, but yeah. Does having that, that luxury of the steady work commercial work does that give you the luxury of um taking your time with stand-up or does it make you hungrier to really dive into it i don't think there's any sense of rushing stand-up like it's such a slow game of like it also depends what you want out of it like for me i it's very important that i'm good at it the people that i look up to are the grinders and the hustlers and the people like bill burr and dave attell the guys who still love going up and doing it and will go, go up every night, you know, when they're in town. And I don't know. It depends what you want. Some people just really think, oh, I'll do this and I'll do this showcase. And I really love the art of it. And I, I really want to be undeniably good. It's really important to me. Where did you get that love from? Huh. I don't know because I never thought that I wanted to do it. Like I really, like I remember seeing it and be like, I'd rather kill a baby. Like, why would you do this? But what was I the just, moment that changed? I think I always kind of had something to prove. Like, I'm not just this pretty face, all right? I can play with the boys. I don't know. It was just like, kind of started as I that. I can do more than read other people's lines? Or? Yeah, it started as like, I can stand on my own. And then kind of became this like, oh, I want to be really good at this. I really like love the art. And my dad was like a big fan of stand-up. He was really into Andrew Dice Clay, Cheech and Chong. Hmm. That kind of era of like, the, yeah, yeah, you know? What does he feel about the idea of uh, stand-up comedian holograms? That, that's a great idea. I should bring that up to him. He doesn't because really they're work talking about that. doing that. He doesn't really work with like three-dimensional hologram. He worked with like stickers and mm-hmm. you know, 
Okay. He's not really in the business anymore. Once he once he did the Princess Leia one, he got out. He's done. He's like, <laughs> that's it. Can't get any higher than this. No, you can't. Reached the pinnacle and left. So yeah. what? So was the first time you got on stage as a stand up at the store? Or was it, it was. Else? It was at the comedy store and in the belly room. Okay. It was crazy Cindy show, which is a bringer show that they do there. You know, they have a lot of produced shows. Right. And. Yeah, and I, I'm dying to shoot all my stuff there. And of course, since Dave Chappelle's done it, they're like, uh, "No, you can't." I'm like, "Why? This is where I started." They're like, "We don't care." Wait, so, who says? You so can't? yeah, I'm having a hard time. Yeah, I really want to shoot there for this doc. You know, the store says no. They're, I'm having a hard time. Yeah, Adam so. is saying no, or is who's no? There's no? other, you know, hmm. other higher powers. I get Jeez. it. I'll talk to them. Dave Chappelle's blessed it with his <laughs> brilliant comedy. So. Those specials were so Tell them you're filming it as a roast battle and then... (laughs) Right. Film it on your phone. (laughs) People have done that. That's not a camera. (laughs) Yeah. People have made specials with their phones. Yeah. I think Owen Smith did one. That's pretty cool. just used eight phone, eight iPhones. Yeah. 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 There's some fun things coming out with that. We'll see. Oh. Oh, some some things in the works. Teasing. Wait, so the first time was a a bringer show? Bringer show. Crazy Cindy. How many people did you have to bring? Oh, I think it was like a development spot because okay. I work. So when you work there, you get these things called development spots where you get to go up in these producer shows. Like you do like five minutes. And what these was your job shows. at the store? I bartended out front for about four okay. and a half years, uh, which makes it doubly Wait. hurtful that they won't let me shoot there. Wait a um, second. So for four and a half years, you were bartending on the patio. Yep. Watching all of these comedians yeah. hang out, get drunk. Yep. Watching all these comedy fans interact with comedians. Yeah. And it took four and a half years before you said... No, no. The whole time I was doing stand-up. Oh, okay. Because when you work there, you get to do stand-up there. So that's oh, I how you, I got to... For a second, I thought you were saying you worked four and a half years and then you got a development no, spot. No, 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 no. I, I got a development spot like three days into my job. Okay. You know? Yeah. Well, that's and then, different then. But it just sucked although it's Although it's yeah. still a weird thing. I mean, I know that there's plenty of people who've done it. Everybody that a, works there is a comic. being a dormant, yeah. But they didn't let women be dormant then. It was hmm. still at that time where it wasn't allowed. Now there's girls that work the door. Okay. I wanted to work the door and the tickets because I wanted to hear comedy. I wanted to right. watch it. But at the bar, I could sit behind the bar and hear. Like, I'd be on the stage. Like, I would just sit back there. The acoustics from the OG? The stage, the OR, the OR is connected to the front bar. There's, like, a door right. that goes to the back bar. And so I just, yeah, I would sit there for hours because it was so dead when I worked there. Mm. It would just be, like, three people attending in one night. And I would just sit. I, I mean, I... I would sit, I would listen to every single one of Whitney Cummings' sets. Like, I, I remember her old set almost word for word still. Wow. Yeah. Um, did, it, did it make a difference not being able to see them? Yeah, that's, it, you know, it's interesting with Brazil. Like, I, I'm not that good with Portuguese still, mm-hmm. in a way. So, if I, I can't listen to Brazilian comedy, I have to, like, watch their mouths and their expressions so intensely. But with, with Amer- you know, with English, I can mm-hmm. just hear it and get it. So... Oh. Speak of the devil, yes. Benji Aflalo, ringing me up. <laughs> also coming up on the podcast. Yeah. Um, what is the dynamic? What was the dynamic like for you, working the bar and trying to do spots? Well, it's like every other. It was very competitive. You have this thing called your class. You know, mm-hmm. like the people you kind of start with. And when I worked there, Benji worked there, Tony Hinchcliffe, Matt Edgar, Francisco Ramos, all people that are crushing in stand up now too, and. Uh, it would suck because we would do these open mics or you'd do your spot and then you would eat shit and then I'd have to be there the rest of the night behind the bar, you know, and people could just approach me and be like, oh, that was a shitty set, huh? And I'm like, 
Yeah. What do you want to drink? You know. Um, Would people say that? Oh yeah. If we were we were awful to each other because it's sort of a frat house, you mm-hmm. know, and that's kind of how you build up the strength to be really strong. I think. Which is kind of sensitive with what, everything that's happening now and this power shift in our industry and right. what's too far and what's necessity to kind of make you a stronger comic and where's the line crossed. In and, hindsight, did you feel like you were allowing the line to be crossed? Never or, in like an or, uncomfortable sexual harassment way, but I definitely there was definitely like a lot of verbal abuse that I probably could have avoided not having worked there, but I think that... When somebody is a stand-up from the comedy store and started at the comedy store and worked there for many years, they're stronger than... It's just like the guys from the cellar. You know what I mean? It's just a really tough environment. And if you sort of graduate from that, you're just so much stronger. And I'm, I'm really proud to have been part of it. At what, point, at what point did you no longer need to work the bar and you could just do spots? Oh, man. Be I, like one of the regular comedians and not just... One of the regu- it took me six and a half years to get past there. I cried hysterically when I got passed. I got passed by the old manager, thank God, because I don't know that I could get passed now. But um, oh, I worked there four and a half years. I remember the day I quit. I was like at dinner with my ex, and I was like, oh, my God, I, I'm supposed to be at work tonight. And then I was like, I'm going to call them and quit. It was just this moment of like, I'm ready, you know? What was okay. going on in your life and your career at that moment huh. that made you comfortable? I want to say it was like 2012. Mm-hmm. So I was like doing a few commercials I had done. Were you doing the web series with Ran Easy yet? I might have been doing it around then, yeah. Um, Daddy Knows Best. God, I love that fucking show. I used to I used to uh, be business partners with the My Damn Channel people. So I oh, remember, nice. Yeah, I, I when love they were them. Hot on that. Yeah. Had you done a web series before that? Yeah, little things here and there, definitely. I mean, I feel like I used to do so much more web stuff. Um, I just said yes to everything for a really long time. I was just very, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm a go-getter. I like to keep busy. Okay. Yeah. But is that also part of that, like, just do as much as you can and see what sticks? And Yeah, sort of. I just wanted to meet everyone, get, keep busy. And, mm-hmm. like, I just really enjoy being on set. And I enjoy kind of the collaborative process of making funny things and I, I mean I like looked up to Renazizi so much and he's now one of my dear friends but at the time I was like still very you know intimidated by him right and, um because he was on TV yeah he was he was on TV and um but he was also one of the guys that worked there when I started working there so or before you know just before my he was time. part of the store crew right so that probably helped a little bit. Yeah. And Bobby Lee was the first guy to ever take me on the road. So he started taking me on the road like right away. You know, once I was like a couple of years in, he okay. was like, you're, you're going to go the road with me and host. So you weren't passed at the store, but you could go everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> correct. <laughs> I was still getting up at the store before you're right. passed. You still get spots. Right. And the but open mic. Harder. And I used to really what got me passed was I used to host the open mics. So it was like a four hour hosting gig. And it used to be really quiet and awkward, and you could feel the tension in the room. And then I decided to start bringing a musician. So I started bringing Ben Seward. Mm-hmm. And he would play, and we kind of had this banter, sort of like a late-night style. Okay. And I just thought it was so rad. And then everybody else started copying me after that. Benji would take a music person, so would um, Willie. They know they all copied me. <laughs> so what was that first... I mean, Bobby Lee is quite a character. I'll never forget the first time I went on yeah. the road with him. Tell me about that. 
God, we were we went to the to do the Playboy show in in, in Vegas. Mm-hmm. At, it was Court McGowan's show, and he Bobby used to do this thing where they would call my name. Was it at the Palms or where was that? Yeah, no, it was Playboy something. Oh. The Playboy room. I okay. think it was at the Palms, and I remember him. They would they call my name, and then he would he would hold my hand and not let me go on stage, <laughs> and I'd be freaking out because. When I first started stand-up, I was an actor first, you know? So I sort of had these premeditated, written things. Mm-hmm. I was not really present and open and kind of fluid, which I, I think is so important. And so he would hold my... I would just be panicking. Then I would walk out to a completely silent room versus, like, you know, the the momentum of, right. like, the show's about to start! You know, I'd be the like, Jane Catapretta! And then it'd be like... The bring on music and the applause. Quiet. And I would just have to march out there totally quiet and... I've just learned so much from him. He was so he's been so generous to me. I'm actually with him on the road next weekend in Chicago. But that Schomburg. but the first time that he did that to you, did he say anything to you afterward about why he did it or like no. that's to teach you how to deal no. with a tough crowd? No, or? he's just like he just no, he just wanted to fuck with me and make me stronger and make me not care because you know, you shouldn't. Ultimately, it should feel like you're just going out to talk to some friends, some, you know, and I used to be so nervous and so he sort of taught me not to be. What and you've also been touring a lot more recently with Kevin Nealon. Yeah. What? How did how did that relationship develop? Um, we met on Tinder. No, I uh, <laughs> I met him at a benefit at the comedy store forever ago, and then we just got along really well. And I started doing his new material show at the factory. Yeah. Okay. Which is such a fun show. Um, and then we just sort of like had great chemistry and. I tried to, I can't remember the first time I went on the road with him. I think it was to Portland. He took me out to Portland and his crowds were really hard for me at first because I thought his crowd sucked. I was like, they're older. They don't get me. And then <laughs> they all watched Saturday Night Live before yeah, I was I'm born. Yeah, I'm like, fuck them. I'm like, I'm more of a Bobby crowd. <laughs> and then slowly I just realized that I was garbage and that like my material was too blue and shocking and mm-hmm. it had no real written essence and... So I've learned a lot from Kevin. He pushes me to be a much cleaner, much more dynamic comic than I ever was. Did you feel? Uh, did you feel like uh, all that listening to and memorizing Whitney Cummings had had rubbed off on you? In a, no, because I actually way? think we're, no, not at all. I think we're actually very, very different. Like right. people compare us a lot because we both have brown hair, kind of. But no, I just I memorize a lot of comics. You know, it's just we all. We, I think we all do. We all have our favorites, and we all sort of know the bits. You know, well, right? A lot of young comics, you can actually hear the influences. Oh yeah! In their first few years, and you go, "Oh, that's a that's someone who loves David Tala, or that's someone who loves Mitch Hedberg." I love Sarah Silverman. Or that's someone so, who yeah. loves Dane Cook or yeah. Sarah Silverman. Yeah, Sarah has. A, I mean, I'm very influenced by her, and I think a lot of my, you know, I have sort of rhythmically a similar approach to her, where it's like absurd, but I say it like it's full th- truth. How oh. did you How did you find your voice? I feel like I really haven't to tell you the truth. Really? I don't know. I still struggle with it a lot where people are like in two sentences, describe who you are in two words. And I'm like too excited. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like I, I don't know. I think that's the life journey of kind of finding your, I'm just starting to kind of come into my own. So that's I'm exciting. not really sure yet. Yeah. How many pilot seasons did you do before you got Manhattan love story? Um, six tested every year. I've tested every year of pilot season multiple times. 
I'm feeling good about this year. Ask me again say, in three months. I was going to say. I feel confident. I feel good. I feel like um, because of everything that's been going on. Well, in I feel three like, months, we'll be talking at the upfronts. Oh, please. I hope so. I feel good. I feel like there's going to be really strong female characters. I have one tomorrow that I feel really good about, um, even though I'm landing in L.A. at 10 and the audition's at 2. Um, that's good. It gives you no time to process or think. You just yeah, get yeah. off the plane, you drop your bags off, and you go. I like to have a little... I like to prep him. I like to know the lines really well. Oh, well, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a nerd. Um, but Was there something about that pilot season that... Since you tested every year, yeah, was there something that you're like, okay, this one's gonna go? Well, it's it's tests are really difficult for me because it's so much pressure, and I want it so badly that it sort of manifests itself into like the most overwhelming nervous energy. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of networks are looking for, CBS specifically, is people who are really good under pressure. And I sort of crumble in those moments, which hmm. is so cr- I can talk to a crowd of two thousand people about my vagina, but then I have to do a scene in front of like 30 people in the theater and I'm just like um hmm. but you need that you need those um sense memories from when you were hosting the open mic for four people right yeah I need to like bring it back but I think last year I was also kind of, I had kind of a hard emotional year and I, I don't think I was fully present the way that I wanted to be and this year I feel very fully realized and okay. happy and grounded and um I feel like I have a full life and I don't feel like my work defines me. It's just something that I get to do and I'm enjoying it. So it's cool. It's a whole different, but that pilot season specifically, sorry. So usually you have to do this producer session, right? If you even get that far, you do a producer session in front of all the producers. Then you do like a chemistry read sometimes. And then you have to do a network test for the studio. And then you have to do a network test for the network. And like, it's just this process of like the material gets so stale and you're just so sick of it. But for that show specifically, I went from doing my producer session, which was the first time they saw me, which I thought I did horrible on. I called them right away. I was like, ate shit, horrible. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll go backwards. I had just booked a part in John Mulaney's show. Okay, for Fox. For Fox. And I went and did the table read. You mm-hmm. know, it was like Martin Shore, every single person you recognize in Hollywood. Right. And I could tell right away after I was going to get fired. Like, it just wasn't a fit. Mm-hmm. It was so celebrity studded and I was just not, it wasn't right. Right away, I called my manager. I was like, I'm going to get fired. He's like, go sign the paperwork. I was like, drink. Um, so then I got fired mm-hmm. from that job. They, they ended up cutting the part altogether, which, thank God. Right. But then, then you don't have to watch someone else do it. Right. This was Friday. And then they go, but you have a pilot audition on Monday. And I go, I don't want it. You know, I'm all upset. I'm like, I don't care. So I went sort of like already devastated mm-hmm. and maybe that's what helped. Um, but it was just, I think when something's written and you embody it and it's, it's yours, there's nothing that can get in your way. If it's the right part, I really believe can in that. You, can you tell that reading the script or is that only something that once you're in the room? I think once you read it and it's so conversational, it feels so, it just comes out. Mm-hmm. Like some scripts takes me so long to memorize. Like I just, I can never fully feel like it's me. And this character, I just got to kind of play like this Jewy Brazilian rich girl. I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> this is me. And I got to do just a tape with the director. Mm-hmm. And then that's what they showed the network. So okay. it was a breezier process for me. You know, that, that was one of the shows that it seemed like critically it had a lot of buzz. It had a lot of promise. I don't think it had any buzz. It- 
I think that's. I think they knew right away they didn't want it. Huh. Do you know what I mean? And then it was like so publicly canceled. Like, there was more buzz about it being canceled than it being on. Does that hurt worse than getting fired at a, at a table read? That one really hurt. That one really hurt. That it, it just was so abrupt, and it was. I cared so much about it, and it had taken me so long to even have a show that went. And I loved the people. I loved the people on set. All, you know, down to the grips, the drivers, the makeup artists, like the DPs, all the directors I got to work with, the clothes I got to be living in New York. Um, I, I still, you know, have my apartment from when I did the show here. Oh wow! And uh, so. Yeah, it was just a total dream come true, and I hope I get to do it again. Were you still filming Ladylike at the time, or no? I was. I no, Ladylike was after. I was filming Girl Code at the time. Okay. Yeah. So you at least had work to uh, yeah, shift so your focus. I finished. So you, so you couldn't leave, like. I know. I know, but the, it was the rough. The weight of the cl- like the collapse of the show, and that's an emotional. It was weight. very emotional. But then you have someplace to go the next day. Well, and then I did that lady. I did the Ladylike pilot. Uh, none of us thought that would ever go. Because I've done so many, I'm countless pilots for Viacom MTV, mm-hmm. and I did that one. I was like, "That's not gonna go. A prank show with all girls? No way!" <laughs> and then they're like, "Yep, got picked up." We're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> um, so yeah, and then I and then I worked for VH1 for about a year and a half with Michelle Buteau, host, co-hosting a show with her. Yeah, and then I had kind of a r- weird, rough year, personal year, okay. and then now I'm I'm back, baby. Now I'm back. Having having a rough personal year, how much does that, you know, we talk in comedy about you have to have some tragedy to be a comedian. Maybe. Well, I, Do I don't you, think you have to have tragedy. I think we pull, we can pull, you can pull from your tragedy. Mm-hmm. Or you can pull from your extreme happiness to your delusional happiness. I don't what know. Do you, what do you pull from? I mean, you a, said, a mixture of both. Because you said you're still trying to find your voice on stage. I feel like I pull from both, yeah, mm-hmm. from the tragedies and from the g- good moments and from the funny moments and the moments that make me uncomfortable. And But I don't know. I think I, I actually think that I did need this year of sort of like self-search and mm-hmm. um, and now I kind of know who I want to be again and it's cool. So who do you want to be? I want to be, I want to be happy and I don't want to be defined by my work. I want to be defined by the people in my life and... Um, yeah, and the love that I receive from them and the love I give them. And that's sort of kind of at my forefront right now. That's and good. Yeah. I mean, being in a being in show business, everything seems to hinge on the credits. Right. And what credits do you have and what are you up for? And Yeah. The idea of not even thinking about that. Or that or that's yeah. secondary. I think that comes if you're really in your own... Like, you know, I think... Energy is really important, and if you have this, you're carrying yourself with this mm-hmm. like incredible energy. You attract other people who are similar in that way. Are there? Are there? I know we mentioned a couple people. Yeah. Are there specific people who really help you maintain that emotional balance? I mean, you know, obviously Benji, my all my friends, you know Stephanie, all that whole group of comics. Yeah. Who's who's your group? Who's your who's my group? Who's your man. support group? Your who's your comedy squad? That's my comedy squad. You know Benji Aflalo, Stephanie Simbari, Matt Edgar, mm-hmm. um, my comedy store friends, Kevin Nealon. I mean, I don't know what I would do without him. Um, and yeah, so many. I mean, 
Lindsay Ames. I mean, am I shouting out all my friends? There's so many. There, and I also have so many friends that are Before not the music in comedy. Starts playing, you have to name everybody. You know, not that Before aren't you get in comedy. Played you know. Oh yeah. I want to thank this person. This person. My family. My family is a big. Uh, my sister is like a huge. Um, she's a huge rock for me. There's a, a comic here, Casey Balsham, who's been so awesome to me. And um, so yeah. And I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying life again which was something that I sort of stopped when I was just so so obsessed with my career. Does being an immigrant change that view at all? Well, in terms of like what you want and especially when what we see is going on in America. Yeah, having gone back to Brazil has definitely like, oh, you got to relax. Like you've done a lot. <laughs> you've done a lot in a mm-hmm. very short period of time. You know, you go out there and you I mentioned Bill Burr to these guys. They're like, "What?" I'm like, "Bill, <laughs> And they're like, oh, what the fuck? I'm like, Bill, Billy. oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, I think I, I, yeah, I think I kind of stopped taking what I, what I have around me for granted. It, it's, we're so lucky to be doing this. Like, are you, I talk about dicks on stage f- for a living? I you mean, do. my, my picture is outside on Broadway. It, that's humongous to me. I, and I, it's just about celebrating the small victories, not comparing yourself and, literally trying to fucking enjoy it because it's so short you know well this podcast was way too short but i feel so lucky that you sat with me for this yeah this was really nice we get to have our own little corner i'm gonna put my pants back on though oh okay thanks jade This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.